Hi, everybody. Welcome. I'm your host, a co-host, Glory. And today we have a special segment in which we will be talking about the issue that happened in Columbia, South Carolina with um, Pentland and the young man, DeAndre. Um, we are lucky enough to have guest Derek um, have a firsthand account of going to protests um, at Pentland's house. So here we have Derek. Glad to be here with you all. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about uh, what led up to uh, the protest at Sergeant Pentland's home in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, so there was a video that surfaced on social media uh, where uh, Sergeant Pentland and a guy, a guy by the name that we know by DeAndre uh, went an altercation. Uh, Sergeant Pentland is a uh, first sergeant in the army. Uh, United States Army. Uh, DeAndre is one of his neighbors who's uh, young, a young black male who has some mental health challenges. And uh, long story short is DeAndre is walking in his neighborhood like he does all the time. And that's according to neighbors who I spoke to directly who have who, who said that they've seen DeAndre in the neighborhood walking around, jogging around, exercising on a regular. Uh, it just so happened this day, Sergeant Pentland was outside and for whatever reason he approached DeAndre and basically told DeAndre that he was not welcome in in the neighborhood. He has he asked DeAndre where he lived at, he asked, he asked him his address. And when DeAndre asked Sergeant Pentland for his address, Sergeant Pentland uh, declined to answer the, the, the question and said it was none of his business basically. And so um, the you can hear DeAndre in the video saying call the police and you know Speaking as a black male, uh, I don't really call the police or anything. Uh, it's got to be like really, really serious. And so for you to hear a black man to say call the police, in my opinion, it, it was uh, a serious incident uh, because we've seen what happens when you call the police for help uh, as a black person. You oftentimes are made to be the suspect. You oftentimes are arrested and sometimes even killed. And so um, when I saw the video, I immediately thought about Trayvon Martin because the scenario was was just the same. Trayvon Martin was in his own neighborhood. He was steps away from his home. Uh, he was approached by a self-appointed neighborhood vigilante who approached him and ultimately took his life. And uh, you can hear in the video, DeAndre asking Sergeant Pentland, have you been drinking? I spent alcohol in your breath. And when you see the video, um, you can tell that Sergeant Pentland is, you know, uh, under the influence of something. And so um, the altercation ensued. And so uh, Sergeant Pentland ended up pushing DeAndre several times. Uh, he threatened him several times and he stepped on his phone and broke his phone, which you don't see on the video because once the video stops recording, uh, Pentland then takes DeAndre's phone out of his hand and steps on it and breaks it. First of all, thank you for coming today, Derek. We really appreciate it. What, were you, what was your initial reaction when you saw this video and how did it correlate to you showing up at the sergeant's house to protest? Yep, great question. So again, I, when I saw the video, I immediately thought about Trayvon Martin. And uh, when Trayvon Martin was killed, I actually got in my car and drove to Florida from South Carolina, um, myself and two of my friends. And so, um, so if I could drive to Florida, I definitely could drive up the street to something that's happening in my neighborhood. Uh, but when I, when I got to uh, Sergeant Pentland's home, 
well, we had talked about it. a few, a few folks in my had talked about like going to his house the next day at 12 o'clock showing up and kind of just confronting him. And, um, and so we didn't know like what to expect. Um, we expected him to be home. We expected to have a conversation with him. We expected to kind of understand like what his logic was for telling a black man in 2021 that he doesn't belong in, in a particular neighborhood. And by the way, this neighborhood is predominantly African-American. It's predominantly black. It's uh, in fact, Pentland's neighbors, every single neighbor to his left, to his right, even the neighbors across the street and behind him, all of them are black. You don't see any white neighbors until you get like further up the street. And so I don't know like what Pentland was thinking, like when he approached this black man and said, you don't belong in this neighborhood. But again, and I intentionally like went to all the neighbors' houses just to kind of see like what are white folks at? And I really didn't see many, any, and except for the ones who came to the protest who lived again up the street and they were actually uh, very welcoming. They gave us water, they gave us Gatorade. They even started directing traffic. Um, but again, my initial reaction was, I've got to show up, I've got to go have this conversation with this guy because I need to know like why he did this and what, what his thinking was. Bold of you. Um, I did have a question. Were you ever fearful of your well-being when you pulled up to his house? Like, did you ever think that you could have been shot? Something could have transpired? Someone could have, you know, started shooting? Like, were you ever anxious when you pulled up? So initially, no. And and probably for the first hour or two, that was really no concern. Um, so when we first arrived at his house, it was probably maybe myself and maybe about four of the people, five of the people who were there. Um, myself and a couple of ladies. And I think it's just one other guy. And so um, as we got on social media and started like telling people to, to pull up and show up, we didn't know like how many, how many people to expect. We thought maybe we'd get maybe 10 people to show up, 15 people. We didn't expect hundreds of people to show up, but it was great to see the people show up. But it wasn't until um, later in the evening when the crowd got to about 200 people, somebody came to me and said, I saw a red laser beam pointing on you. And so knowing that Sergeant Pentland is military, I assume that he has military, I assume he has weapons. I'm sure he has weapons. And so the red laser beam to me was an indication that somebody in the house was pointing a, you know, a weapon out the window um, to kind of like scare us or whatever. Now, I personally didn't see the red beam, but several people saw it. So I'm inclined to believe them because they told me at several different times, different people. Um, again, I didn't see it. And I guess because I was so busy, like in the moment, um, but when I realized that people were seeing the red beam, I realized, wait a minute, he potentially could be in the house armed and could potentially like be ready to like shoot somebody. Because I mean, at this point, he's like all over the news. He probably has nothing to lose at this point. And so we start. So we call we call all the men over and we come up with a plan to kind of like protect the women and the kids uh, who are in the crowd. So we set up a a. Um, a line of men to kind of like protect the women and the, and the children from, you know, like if they're in the event that was gunfire. Um, and so, yeah, so that was probably like, but it, it was probably like about six hours before I started thinking about like safety. Wow. That is amazing. So um, I forgot how I even stumbled upon the video. I, actually, I remember now it was on, Twitter and the cover photo just look very confrontational. And usually I try very hard not to watch things of that sort because I do believe in trauma porn. Um, but that will definitely be another conversation for another time that I did end up clicking it. I gave into my curiosity and then I just watch things unfold very, very horrifically. 
Um, and it was just to see how non-confrontational DeAndre was and how the sergeant was so aggressive, mm-hmm. very, very aggressive, belligerent. I was just very disgusted and I was very, very terrified for DeAndre. I was just like, I don't know if this man is going to do some extreme bodily harm to DeAndre. And it was just like, you could see that he was really trying to avoid that situation from escalating into him potentially losing his life. Um, I was really, really bothered when um, the sergeant shoved him in his chest when he was just looking in the direction of his wife. And he said, like, his remarks and his comment, he was like, that's my wife you're talking to. And they pushed him. And I was just like, thank God DeAndre didn't have, like, anger issues or just didn't snap and tried to wail on this guy because we already know what would have happened um, if he would have put his hands on the sergeant. Um, just overall, I watched it once. I did not watch it again. I just felt sickened. I felt disgusted. And I was just like, why does it seem like we're kind of moving backwards um, for every forward move that we try to make? Um, it was just a very unpleasant sighting. I felt very uncomfortable seeing it. So, yes, um, I guess like on the topic or the subject of trauma porn, which is basically just the hyper over presentation of violence or just confrontations, specifically really in black culture, like always seeing us slaughtered um, in the streets, us innocently going on about our day and something just horrible or tragic happening to us. It's all over social media. It's plastered. There's no trigger warnings. And it's just like, we sometimes are not cognizant of how that affects people to constantly be bombarded with violence towards our people. So it's termed trauma porn um, and how it can be very harmful um, for viewers, or we just don't know how that can be internalized by other people seeing that or just seeing it over and over and over and over. Um, so yeah. do you all have any opinions on that? Yeah, I, I've never heard the term trauma porn, but I, I think it's befitting, um, especially the word trauma, because when I the other day when I was at the protest or at Sergeant Pinland's house, I was saying on the on the uh, bullhorn, I was telling people like since since we've gotten to America, like we've been traumatized and how much more trauma do you want black people to go through? How much more trauma can we go through? And people were saying, this is, some people were saying, well, this is too much. I had a, um, this guy who I know who lives in the neighborhood. I didn't know he lived out there, but he saw me on live and he came, he called me on my phone and I picked it up because I respect him. And so I, I interrupted my live, answered the phone. And he's like, yo, what the f- are you doing? And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, you're in my neighborhood. And I was like, so what are you like, what are you trying to say? And he was like, look, man, I live out here and you're going to, you're going to uh, lower the, the value of my property, yada, yada, yada. And I hung the phone up on him because I'm like, bro, like, this is not the time or place. This guy literally walked from his house to the protest, came to pull me aside, asked me to put my, put my phone down. So I gave my phone to someone else. And again, he proceeded to tell me, like, how this protest was not necessary. It was bringing down the value of his property. Meanwhile, this guy is like this. He's supposed to be like this pro-black guy. He just ran for office and lost. And so... Anyways, um, and so I was really bothered by the fact that he had the audacity to come and tell me that our protest was bringing down the value of his property. And when I told him, I said, well, no, the value of your property started decreasing when your neighbor, Sergeant Pentland, harassed one of your other neighbors and told him he didn't belong in this neighborhood. 
Thank and you. then I walked, and then I walked off, and I'm just like, bro. And I, and so I deleted it on my social media because I'm like, look, I don't need these kind of people in my life. And I'm like, yeah. So that's crazy. Uh, yeah. And so that that right there for me was trauma because I'm like, I'm trying to like, I'm trying to like bring more value to your property by by putting this person out who doesn't belong here, and you telling me that I'm, and so yeah. Right. That idea of entitlement and privilege. Like, how dare you? only speak about the value of your property when we have an issue that your neighbor instigated. Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Like the, the entitlement, the privilege is just, is sickening. Yeah. Yeah. And then is, was, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Don't have that. No, please, please. No, go, I'm, I'm <laughs> no, go ahead. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> no, no. I just think it's, I just think it's a shame that, we constantly see the same thing in a different scenario. And when I first saw the video in the beginning, I thought it honestly was going to end like the Trayvon Martin video, like the Trayvon Martin case, which we don't have a video of, but and it was just, it was very, it's very traumatizing. And I'm not the person that would say, okay, well, I'm not privileged. Cause I know that by just definition of my skin tone, I'm privileged, but I can acknowledge that there is a huge issue in our country with this racial injustice that's going on and to these phones weren't there technology wasn't there to film and record these people who are doing these things so often it was like one voice versus another and just like in the case of Emmett Till where it was like the white woman against the young the young black man it's like well who are you going to believe now we can actually see you know mm -hmm. this is actually going on mm -hmm. and we have it recorded and we mm -hmm. are going to hold you accountable and then we have to address the issues that are coming from seeing this stuff because we never saw this before. You know, we people would have uh, events that happen to them themselves. You know, every, every I'd say every black person faces injustice at some point in their life or prejudice or racism. Even just going to the grocery store, you don't have hair dyes with your face on it. And that's an injustice. That's an institutionalized version of racism. But when you're seeing people get killed and attacked, that leaves an impact on your brain. And then psychology, you know, psychological care is one of the most expensive doctor's visits and takes the longest to get to. So it's like, what is being done about this trauma that we're facing, that people are facing every day? There's no free trauma outlets. There's no free therapy to get into free therapies three months. So do you, do you think that there should be outlets for people to go to? And is that something that you're interested in, in doing yourself is getting therapy for these kinds of incidents and seeing these kinds of things yeah yeah so for a long time i i was under this illusion that i can handle these this like all of this stuff on my own and, and like internalize it and process it and and kind of like be okay once it's over and then i finally got to a place to where i was like completely depleted i was just like over social justice work ever i mean altogether i just didn't want to do anything else around social justice and so what i did was i took a job at, a, at working at a school in texas and i left social justice work behind me because again it was it was it took a toll on me and then i realized when i got to texas that i was still doing the same thing and so i resigned from my job came back to south carolina but the point is this is that 
and I and I probably shouldn't be saying this because uh, I don't think it's public information just yet. But I'll just say a little bit uh, is that DeAndre people are saying that he was autistic and that he had these whatever. And from what from what I know from the family is that he has some, he has mental health challenges. Um, and so because mental health is closed, the Department of Mental Health is closed in South Carolina, he's not been able to get the proper therapy or treatment that he needs to handle his trauma. And he's and he's had trauma prior to this incident. And so this incident further uh, traumatized him. And so he's now uh, in a place to where he's going to need more therapy, more counseling, more, um, more, more help. And the, and, and so when I found that out, that pissed me off all over again, because I was calming down, um, that you would approach somebody not really knowing like what they're going through, like who they are, just because you are a first sergeant, because you have status, because you have a little bit of money and because you have privilege, you think you can just bully people. And so, um, that's when I went back to his house and I was like, I'm not leaving until Why? Yes. Uh, actually, I went three Twice. times. Okay. Three times. Three times. Like, Period. Because I'm, I'm like, I need this person to know. Because at this, at this point, I didn't know if he had been arrested or not. And so I got a phone call from the sheriff. I went and met with the sheriff, myself and some other folks from up with the sheriff and found out that he had been arrested, that he had been arrested and that he was currently like in jail at that time. And so uh, found out also that the military was wanted to hold him until. So when he got released from the county jail, the military came and picked him up from the county jail and took him to the military jail. And so I'm like, yeah, we're making progress. And I'm like, we can't leave yet. We got to keep putting pressure on the police and the military to at least suspend him. And so we found out later that he um, had been suspended. And we were like, well, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Like, let's stay until we can't leave. And it got to the point where the police actually came um, to his home because for the whole day, they had not bothered us. They came, they rode through a couple of times, waving, speaking. Uh, but towards the end of the night, uh, they started getting concerned. And so like they dropped out of the sky. It was like 50 cops. And they were like standing in front of his house, protecting his, protecting his house. And um, and so, yeah. It became they came faster to protect the sergeant that was doing racist oh. things than the freaking Capitol when it was being bombarded by racists. What there the were more cops at Pendleton's house than at the Capitol on January 6th. If you don't wow. know, you're going to cry. You're going to yeah. come for that. And what do you think should happen to his wife? Because she was, to me, she's an accomplice. She's sitting there egging him on like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and to me, she hasn't been charged yet with anything because she didn't get physically violent. Let's talk Ariana and let's hear some of her input. Yeah. So what I was going to say is that um, I personally haven't seen the video only because, you know, a part of everything going on in the world, well, specifically in this country, um, with everything going on, I went on Twitter, I saw a headline for it, that it was trending. I looked at it and I was like, that's it. I deleted all my social media. I don't have any social media right now um, for my mental health and for you know those around me. I want to see what I can, um, you know, try to figure out other ways other than like figuring out um, all this news from social media and stuff like that. I feel like it's very toxic right now. So I have to like take a step back every now and then. Um, honestly, it's been going on for so long that I, I've been trying to figure out ways 
in my community, I, I grew up in a per, um, predominantly white area. I was one of four black people in my school and I was constantly, you know, <laughs> yeah, experienced racism and things like that. You know, it's very, it's very traumatizing. And for me, since it's been going on for so long, I don't think like if I see it anymore, I'm just so, I'm so over it. And so, so tired of it happening that I'm trying to find ways around my community to do it as opposed to like going on social media and doing it. Cause people around here really need to understand what, what's going on in the real world. They're trapped in these four walls, you know, and very close minded and people just need to realize that there's, so much more going on than just in here in Pennsylvania. <laughs> wow, thank you so much for sharing that. And I commend you for being able to disconnect and detach from social media. A lot of people can't do that because they the fear of missing out and they want to be on the know, but mental health should come first. And if that's something that you need to do to keep your mental or to keep your sanity, I feel like that's very, very important because it also goes back to that trauma porn. Like all we're being really fed is violence, like just these mass slaughterings of people. And it's just like, there's no trigger warning. You just click on it. And then you're like watching something. You're just like, whoa, like what did I just see? And we don't, even know how that itself can affect someone or induce, you know, a mental issue. So I, I commend you for being able to even have the strength to detach from all your social media. Me, I would have to work on that. But um, <laughs> yes, I, I give you a lot of props for that. Thank but, you. Um, Yes, thank you all for having so much wonderful, rich input on this segment. We are coming to a close on this particular segment. Yes, Derek, thank you so much for coming today and for your social justice action work, for your work for our entire community, for standing against this sergeant and for showing people that, you know, you can do it. It is what's right. So thank you so much for coming today, Derek. Thank you, Derek. Glad to do it. Thank you all for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, keep us updated because we want to know everything that you're doing. We will support it. I'm here. We're here here at Boston to Philly for you. Yep. So uh, again, so I'm just uh, grateful to, to be in this position to continue to do the work that our ancestors started. Um, I, again, I've been doing social justice work for 15 years, which is almost half of my, uh, all of my adult life and half of my life. And I'm committed to doing this work. And it's not just in South Carolina, it's all over. I get phone calls. And in, in fact, in the last three or four days, I've literally gotten about 20 or so phone calls from people all around the country asking me to like look into stuff for them. And I'm getting inundated and bombarded with stuff and I'm grateful for it. Um, and so if there's anything that I can do to uh, to help you and with your particular situation, uh, please reach out. I'm not saying I can help, but if I can, I definitely will uh, help uh, because I still believe in the old African proverb that says it takes a village to raise a child. And we are that village. Yeah. The last thing I'll say is actually I am running for office uh, next year. So just want to put that out there. <laughs> So I'm actually running for state rep in South Carolina uh, with the what's the election is next year. I'll announce on Juneteenth. And then my goal is to do that for two years and then run for run for Congress in 2024. Might have to move to South Carolina just to vote for you. Hey, do it. Roll. 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 Son, come back in.
I lost my family! He has a godmother in Philadelphia. He's sending me away! He's only other relatives. And what are you doing about it? Nothing! Think about it. All we know, people selling, people robbing. We got family members still in that trap life. We not worried about the consequences because we just want to sleep. You're off campus, ain't you? I came to see him. Say his name. Say his name. I came to see Jared. Go home, my God. <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> so you don't want me anymore? This is my first year as a professor, and I want you to develop a deeper understanding of your inner self, your connection to others. Maybe you'll discover your passion. I, don't feel like I want you to rely on your group as a crutch. I want you to reach to them and to discover and explore ideas and emotions you never could on your own. I guess this is our home. Yeah, this is going to be our home. one-on-one. -on -one. Are you crazy? For your heart. No. Listen to your ball first. You got the umbrella. <laughs> I've never heard of trauma porn either. I never heard of like those terms together. I mean, I, I think that that's a fairly new term that people are giving to this like repeated occurrence of the videos that are going on and I study trauma in school like I'm, I have a certificate in trauma informed care so like I've never heard it and I think it's that's a really good like way of putting it for people but I definitely myself was also like ooh, something new I wrote it down trauma porn heard of it either I I was um I was taken aback by it because I never heard of it but then when I when you explained it you explained it very very well so thank you for that I actually wrote that down to do some research on too. Uh, when I first heard the term, I was like, this is so weird. Like, I don't even really like saying the porn word. I feel so awkward using it. But like, when you really <laughs> think about it, trauma porn, it makes so much sense. And to go back on the question on like, whether it's like a guy thing or like how like a woman would internalize that, well, a female or a male would internalize that. It could be like a thing where I feel like men can take violence and stuff so differently compared to like a woman but you know that could get in some murky waters but I do feel like um the way a man would look at violence like I feel like it's easier for them to like watch it I don't know why to see it and kind of like be detached from it but as for me and I know my girlfriend sometimes is just like I can't look at that like I can't watch fighting videos I can't watch somebody getting beat up it's just something yes. about that that I can't it's just it's just very like heart-wrenching for me but guys i'll be like bro like did you see this fight did you see buddy get popped in his head and i'm just like how can you like look and watch watch stuff like that i just i can't do it there's something to be said about that primal like that primal instinct when a fight starts to either fight or flight right and it, it's the same when you're watching a flight whether you're gonna keep watching it or turn away and I, too, am one of those people, I can't even watch, like, movies that are, like, gory. Like, I, it just, ugh, something about it, like, sets something off in me and will make me depressed. So, like, that's one of my triggers. But a lot of people, I think men and women, are like, it's, it's a two-sided deal. Like, some people will either watch it over and over and over again 
like regular porn, they'll either always be, they're addicted to it almost, or they're like absolutely against it, like won't watch it at all. And when they see it, they scroll past it and, you know, they're permanently impacted. But I do think both parties could be permanently impacted either by being desensitized, just like the porn industry kind of desensitized people to sex and makes people think that sex looks one type of way. And um, it's just, I, I like the term personally. I think it's a great way to emphasize that it's not okay as to what's happening. And we're combining these terms that people kind of already know to give them like this new perception on like, you can feel any way you want about watching this video, whether it's sad, angry, whether you want to watch it over and over and over again to see what's going on and what happened, whatever you do to address this video personally, that's, that's you. But I think everybody has like this attachment to the video, like whether it's a, I don't want to see it or I want to see it again to see what's going on. Okay. So recently rapper AR app was sentenced to 45 years in prison. AR app is a rapper and the co-leader of the original block hustlers, which is a rap group. And the government is saying it is also a crime group. There's a lot to talk about today. Starting with the fact that they really don't have much on AR Rab other than his music. Um, he raps uh, pretty much about what everybody else raps about. Drugs, guns, violence, and what it's like to live in North Philly. And a rap group with other rapper Dark Low. A.R. Rab actually featured in Boston to Philly. It's his only movie that he's ever featured in. And the only movie he'll feature in for the next 45 years unless he wins the appeal that they say they are going to do. What's interesting is the only information that the FBI and the government has against A.R. Rab is his music. And the fact that he raps about violence, drugs, and guns. Shekinah, what do you think about this? Um, it's a lot of mixed emotions um, when it comes to rappers rapping about what they um, go through and the things that they are involved in. And one thing that I've learned about AR Ab is that what he put in his rap is something that it seems like he actually lived out. So um, I just feel like when it comes to these kind of things, you do have to be careful because you can kind of put yourself on the government's radar. Um, and that's just what comes with the territory. So it does kind of seem like based off of like videos and things that he has mentioned that, I mean, he could give two Fs about, you know, what's going on. And that also is the attitude that is exuded through his music. So it wasn't like it came as a surprise to him. He, it felt like he knew that this day was probably going to come. I don't know, because he's, you know, in court after he was sentenced, he said, we don't rap about flowers and rainbows. We're gangster rappers and we rap about what we grew up on. So we rap about drug dealing and we rap about the violence. And even in the movie, he doesn't play uh, uh, somebody that paints rainbows. He plays uh, somebody that's a gangster. And in North Philly, especially, I actually have, couple friends who are obh that are rappers 
Shout out to Flacco and Dark Low. I've never seen them done anything illegal. And so for me to watch just the criminalization of another rapper, it seems as though people are just, the FBI and the government are just like trying to make a point out of these people, especially when there is no evidence there there's nothing other than circumstantial evidence if you if you go through the case and even the judge said he imposed a harsh punishment for his behavior because he was antisocial. like literally said that he didn't say because of what he did or because that he you know he didn't kill anyone they don't have any evidence of him ever passing drugs they just think he was the leader of a drug gang and it comes to a point where it's like, when will we stop fighting drugs and fight other things that are more important? Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, heroin, meth, these are all Schedule 1 drugs. But if you've never seen a person with it, they don't have it on their hands and in their system. You know, if somebody touches drugs, it runs through their blood unless you, they got gloves on. That's how it goes. It goes through your, your skin. You know, you're, you're cutting up crack or you're touching meth, whatever it is you're doing. It goes in your bloodstream. You know, and so if he didn't test positive, if there's no evidence, I think that this is just another case of the government trying to pin another black man down, another rapper. You know, they only started this once he started popping. You know, he's only ever been in one one feature film, which is Boston to Philly. You know, this this is this is a problem. They they do this a lot. And I think that this culture of the entertainment industry not standing up for their own people is kind of frustrating. The only rapper I've ever seen fully supported when they went to jail was Meek. And he went to jail for riding a dirt bike on, you know, probation for something he did when he was like 17. So it's like these instances where they're trying to, even Meek's judge trying to just make a point out of these rappers to other other obviously black men and other rappers that they can have as much influence and power and money, but the system will always get them down. That's how I see it. Alrighty. So um, thank you, Rosa, for sharing your perspective. And you actually, you know, brought in my horizons. I honestly do not know, or I might not know any songs by A.R. Ab. I really don't know his history. I um, did not really, I guess, understand like his big significance as um, an artist outside of like his feature in Boston to Philly. So now that you've broken that down and it's the government pinning these things on him without any like tangible evidence, Yes, I agree with what you're saying. It's not right for these people to be trying to make an example out of anyone really just based off of what they're saying or an implication and they don't have any evidence. So I do agree with that. Um, Ariana, do you have any input? Yeah, I just wanted to say that I find it strange. Like, I, I personally don't know anything about him either. And I just find it strange that he, um, there was that one rapper who literally admitted to killing somebody, I think, on a song. I forget, I forget what his name was, but he admitted to doing, like, doing something like that. And, um, but from what I'm understanding, this man never actually said he was going to do anything specifically. So, yeah, I'm 
yeah, I'm trying to figure out something too because I did the, have the song a, "Murder on My Mind." Do you know what I'm talking yeah, about? A recent yeah, that conversation by by Nelly. Yeah. Yes. Um. Well, that song. But with Ar Ab, like I heard that he. I mean, like this is just a conversation where I've been around people. They were talking about how he murdered like a grandmother. He would set like kids on fire. He's very vulgar, very violent, and his lyrics so. It's just like, are you lying about all of these things in your rap or are you walking it like you talk it? And I have, like, I feel like I could be wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, that these rappers, some of them do not lie about what they're actually out here doing. So if you're saying that you kill gr- grandmas and you set kids on fire, maybe somebody is going to want to look into that because that is some very violent stuff so it's just kind of like when do you draw the line um on kind of like trying to figure out well when do you just leave it alone and that's just for the culture and you're talking about your experience or you know this sounds like you're a part of something that needs to be looked into oh he did beat a murder case in 2005 Uh, he was wanted and he was on a murder case for 2005 and it seems like now, if you go to North Philly and you talk about OBH, you know that they're, you know, they're around Broad and Gerard, even higher, Broad and uh, Alani, even higher. That's the area of OBH. And I'm not going to say they're a gang because I've never seen any gang activity. But many people outside of the North Philly area would not go to that in those neighborhoods. Like three years ago, there was an incident where an OBH member locked himself in the house and was fighting against the cops. And the cops were like, uh, barricaded outside his house for like 10 hours. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, but these are, these are things that happen very frequently with OBH. And a lot of guys are arrested from OBH and they even have concerts at the red wine venue, which is in North Philly that's called the free the men concerts. I've actually performed at them before and they raise money for the books of the guys that are actually in jail. Yeah. The concerts are by donation. So people drop money in the donation tip, the donation jar as you go in and uh, all that money goes to the books and to the lawyers for the men that are locked up. It's called free the men. If you look up the hashtag called free the men, that's uh, that's for the OBH guys. Uh, So, you know, I, Maybe I'm a little biased because I do have some OBH friends, um, but I think that I think that it's very important to see both sides because there have been instances where people are dumb enough to rap about the things that they did and then go to jail, you know. And then they, first of all, they were dumb enough to kill a person in the first place. But beyond beyond murder, you're now rapping about it, and now you went viral. This is the age of the telephone and. You can't, you can't do it. They're gonna, they're listening. Feel the train. Back at it again. Uh. Now we're gonna do a little bit of talking about the movie Boston to Philly, which is a coming of age independent drama that chronicles the life of Rome, also called Boston, a young black male struggling with his identity and his ability to find himself in real relationships in the new city of Philadelphia after a tragic, tragic accident takes the life of his family. Now, I think it's very important to understand that 
Rome lost his family. And in the movie, he deals with a woman who uh, he calls Philly and she calls him Boston. And they have this dynamic that's very interesting. How did you feel when you're watching this movie? I felt like it was definitely um, a coming of age. There were so many different pivotal points. And I loved how there were different um, narratives from the different characters that ended up coming together full circle. Um, and I really loved the tension, the romantic tension between Boston and Philly. And I don't know, like it was just so many things that I liked aesthetically and so many things like as a person that's kind of like into cinematography, just how the acting flowed. So there's many things that I appreciated it appreciated um from boston to philly irene yeah so just to go off of that as soon as i started watching it like in the beginning there was such a strong black female character um who told off <laughs> um i remember she told off a white woman and it was so powerful because i feel like in a lot of um movies nowadays Black people don't get the representation that they need to get. I feel like um, a lot of characters can tend to be, I don't know, like, you know, dark skin characters can become light skinned, you know, and then I, I, I don't know. I feel like this movie automatically with the start of it, I was, let me see here. I made some notes six minutes in and I could not stop watching it. I didn't check my phone. I didn't do anything. The scene, the opening scene was so, uh, so powerful that I didn't seem to want to just stop. And I'm very, very bad at movies sometimes. My attention span, you know, I'm all over the place. But this one had me sit down and watch the whole thing through. <laughs> I agree with you there. I was very surprised at every turn. I usually can be like, this is going to happen next, and this is going to happen next. And, this. and I was thoroughly shocked multiple times with the, with the events that happened. And, you know, without giving any spoilers, you know, I didn't think Philly was going to give Boston a chance, you know. And it's just very empowering, this movie. Um, personally, it, it reminded me that we're all finding ourselves. We all need to give ourselves space to heal when trauma happens. You know, I think that that's something we don't do. Give ourselves that space. Also, I just wanted to bring up, I heard a new term in this movie that I wanted to bring up to you guys. I'm, I don't want to mispronounce it, but it was affluenza. Um, that term really stuck out to me. I, I don't know how to describe it the best way. Um, but basically what I gathered from it was some people make money and they can get their way out of things and other people don't make money so they can't talk their way out of things. You know what I mean? And that was a very interesting phrase that I had also never heard before that really, uh, really struck me as, as odd because, you know, new, um, new vocabulary in, in, this stage of wokeness in our life um new vocabulary has come around and i i'm just figuring it out as i go and that was a beautiful analogy 
Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I, I also hadn't heard of uh, affluenza. And when, when we look it up, it says that it's like catching, catching, almost like catching a psychological cold when you're, when you're wealthy and it affects people who are wealthy. And it says it gives them a lack of motivation, feelings of guilt and a sense of isolation because they have more, they've experienced more. And I don't, as a psychology major and a student, I don't know if this is an actual psychological term, you know, I never heard it before, but just like trauma porn, these are things that we, we learn and we start using and we, we make words happen and we make, sense of them Shekinah do you know about affluenza no that was quite a new um piece of terminology for me as well and that's something I'm definitely going to have to flesh out more for myself to get a better understanding um because you can receive things in like one setting and it still doesn't click for you so affluenza is definitely something that I'm going to have to dig more into but there were overarching things that I did appreciate within um Boston to Philly and um I really like that um I don't know how to like term it or condense it but there was just like understanding like the black male anger because someone could have seen that as like very like dangerous and there were certain parts where I'm just like oh my gosh like how is this going to progress for you there was just points where I'm just like you know like how black male rage can be perceived um taking a risk um with and how Philly she you know the the tension between her and wanting to give Boston a shot and like how she went to the place to go see like her boyfriend and that whole scene that was very that was amazing I was like drawn in there but it was just a lot that it it just kept me speechless and like on edge to see what was going to happen next yes at first I swore that she was you know in a committed relationship and she was cheating and then I was like wait a second without spoiling I was like oh my gosh like this is a really emotional because this is something that happens you know this is real life situations that happen and kind of connected Boston and Philly which is cool that it's called Boston to Philly because their traumas connected them hi yes and um one thing that I really appreciated about this movie was that it covered a very broad range of topics um there was a lot of things about mental health in there there was um there was obviously racial injustice there was there was a lot of things in there that really struck home for me. Um, there was a scene about self-harm that really did, it came as a shock to me. It really did. It wasn't necessarily triggering. It was, you know, a lot of people in my life, me, me I've been through the ringer when it comes to mental health and seeing this finally be covered in a film and how important it is to talk about it it really did give me hope that we can eventually start talking, start talking and striking out the stigma that is mental health, giving people more of a platform to talk about it. Um, it, it made me cry. I'll be honest when, when everything started going on in that scene, I, I broke down. I was like, man, like this will help get the biggest message that we need right now out there. And then, hopefully people will be able to comprehend it more. I know a lot of people, older people are 
you know, don't believe it or, you know, anything like that. But to show that there is truth to it in this film really helped me, really helped me um, have hope. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I know sharing your own uh, history with mental health and the burdens is it's hard. It's hard to speak on that. So thank you so much. And I think that the reason why this movie has been, you know, featured by Haitian Movie Awards and the Las Vegas Black Film Festival and, you know, Best Music Philadelphia Independent Film Awards. Like these are because there's it's so relatable these are these are not just you know things that we can brush off these are real world topics that are happening right now to all of us right agreed and I just want to say I appreciate everyone's story sharing their personal narrative sharing their opinions being bold enough to state you know what they think even if it goes against what someone else Thanks. Um, it has been great speaking with you all on this segment. We've talked about um, the happening with DeAndre, um, with special guest Derek, and here we have special guest Ariana who shared her input on Boston to Philly, so effortlessly done. And yes, it's been a great evening with you all. I agree. Thank you so much. This is Rose and Ice, and this was Boston to Philly podcast.